there is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. I want you to take your Bible, if you will, and turn with me in the New Testament to the book of Acts. And uh, when you get to the book of Acts, find Acts chapter number 17. And if you have a Bible ribbon or a marker, a way to mark Scripture, I want you to mark Acts 17 in your Bible for a couple reasons. One, I'm going to take you to a couple other Scriptures in a moment. But two, I'm going to live in Acts 17 all day today. So if I'm living in it, guess what that means? That means you're living in it too, all right? And uh, we're going to come back to it in the morning hour. We're going to come back to it at the 4 o'clock hour. So you'll be ahead of everybody that didn't come to Sunday school. Congratulations. And uh, we're going to walk through this amazing chapter. You'll understand why in just a moment. But I want to begin just have a little Bible study with you from Acts 17. Paul is on one of his missionary journeys, making stops along the way, preaching the gospel. Uh, Micah and I were walking across the street here this morning and coming into the church, watching people come into the building. And I said to him, every town in our country needs a church like this church. Uh, every place, every city, every village, every little wide spot in the road needs a gospel witness. How many of you agree with that? Yes? And when Paul was traveling town after town after town after town, there was one thing he was after. He was not traveling as a tourist. He was traveling as an ambassador. And there's a difference. He wasn't just there to see the sights. He was there to preach the gospel. He was there to help people know Jesus. He was there to help establish a New Testament church like the church that you have. And may I just pause and say, praise God for the church the Lord has given you. Think, think the privilege that your family has to have a church where you know you can come every Lord's Day and you don't have to have a guest preacher in town. You're going to hear a faithful shepherd get up and preach the Bible every week. I want you to know something. That's a privilege. And it's something not to take for granted. When Paul showed up in most of these little towns, they didn't have a church. Not yet. They would have one when he was done. But when he showed up, they had lots of religion. Now, we live in a part of the world where there's a lot of religion. And just because there's a building and a steeple doesn't mean Jesus is there. I don't know how it is up here. Maybe it's different here than it was in Beckley growing up. But uh, down home, everybody belongs to a church. And I mean by that, if you ask them, everybody belongs. Everybody's been baptized three or four times. Everybody's grandma's a preacher. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, everybody. But the reality is there's a whole lot of people that really don't know the Lord Jesus. And so when Paul showed up in these towns, there was religious people. There were synagogues. There was religious instruction but there was no gospel witness, and that's why he came. Look at Acts 17. Let's just begin in verse number 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Does that sound familiar, Thessalonica? Two books of your New Testament written to this church. First and second, what? Very good, Thessalonians. So this is the church. This is the city where it all started, Thessalonica, where it was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was 
went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. He didn't just give lectures. He had conversations. He showed them things from the Word of God. Verse 3, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Stop and look at me just a minute. This is powerful. Paul had the equivalent of three PhDs. He's the most educated guy in the room. He could have talked circles around everybody in the synagogue. He could have dealt with every question they had, but every time he shows up, he talks about one thing. Look at that verse. What's he talk about? He talks about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, why is that? Because there is power in the gospel. <laughs> Look, no politician's going to change the mess this country's in. I don't care who he is. Uh, no moral reform, no, no social program, no economic recovery, none of that is going to change the horrible mess our nation and this generation is in. But there is one thing that can penetrate the hardened human heart and turn things around, and that is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. People don't need what men can do. They need what only God can do. So when Paul shows up, Paul didn't talk about Paul. Paul talks about Jesus. I think it's a pretty good pattern to follow, don't you? Look at verse 4, and some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, the great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. Sounds to me like God's on the move, the Lord's at work. It's great to see God at work, isn't it? And then you come to verse number 5, but... But the Jews, which believe not, you see the two groups. In verse 4, you've got the believers. In verse 5, you've got the unbelievers. There are always two groups in every place. There are those that believe and those that believe not. The Jews, which believe not, moved with envy, took of them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. That sounds like our world right now, doesn't it? And gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. I think in their criticism is one of the greatest compliments in all of Scripture. They said, These people, they're turning the world upside down. I want to just pause and say, Dear Lord, give us a generation of Christians who will turn the world upside down again. You know what's really ironic about this? The only thing that makes things upside down is sin. So if they were preaching the gospel and pointing people to Jesus and giving the truth, they weren't turning it upside down. You only think it's upside down if you're already upside down, you see. The gospel turns everything right side up. We're living in a world that calls evil good and good evil. They, they had the wrong perspective on it, you see. And they said, these people, they're, they're making trouble. Matter of fact, look at verse number 7. Whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to decrees of Caesar, saying, there's another king, one Jesus, and they troubled the people. And the rulers of the city, when they heard these things. Isn't that interesting? They called the Christians the troublemakers. Sound familiar? But the Christians weren't the ones making trouble. The ones making trouble were the ones who were fighting against what the Lord was doing in this world. It's fascinating to me. You know, the Bible really is a mirror. It's a mirror on us, and it's a mirror on our time. Some things never change. There's no new thing under the sun. So when you come to the Word of God, you're not just looking at then, you're looking at now. And we're living in a world where people are all worked up about anything Christian, anything that has to do with Jesus. 
Isn't it interesting? Nobody, nobody ever curses in Buddha's name. Nobody ever takes Confucius' name in vain. And nobody ever fusses about people talking about Muhammad. But you speak the name Jesus, and suddenly people get ticked off, and they say, you know, you bunch of bigots. And Why is that? I'm going to tell you why. Because there's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we might be saved, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. There's one name on this earth that Satan trembles at and hell shudders at because it's the only name that opens heaven to us, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. Did you ever think about Jason? His name's right there. We just read it. Any Jasons in this room today? Anybody named Jason in this room? Yes. Jason's running mission control back there today. That's good. So you have a Jason. Well, they had a Jason. And this is fascinating. If I said, stand and tell me everything you know about Paul, my soul, we could stand for an hour and talk about Paul. But if I said, somebody tell me about Jason in the Bible, people say, was Jason in the Bible? And yet, don't miss this, please. Jason was a Christian man in the city of Thessalonica who had opened his living room to let the church meet there. And I want you to know, in the first century, when they had no religious liberty and Rome was threatened by this new sect that was coming up, these followers of Christ, it actually cost something to be a Christian. And Jason gets brought to jail, brought to court, because he's a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I just want... To tell you, we need another generation of Jasons. That's what we need. People who are unashamed to be publicly identified with Jesus. You ever think about all the people we're going to meet in heaven someday? I'm going to meet Jason in heaven. I'm going to sit down at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus next to Jason and say, Hey, buddy, I read a little bit about you in Acts 17. Tell me more about what happened in Thessalonica. Because this is where it all began. Keep reading. Look at verse 9. And when they had taken security of Jason... And of the other, they let them go. In other words, Jason made bail. How many of you are glad Jason made bail? So he got out of jail. Look at verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore... Many of them believed, also of honorable women which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. Same phrase that was used back in Thessalonica. Verse 13, but when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. <laughs> so these people from Thessalonica, they didn't want the truth, so they didn't want anybody else to have the truth. So now they show up in Berea, and they try to stop the preaching of the gospel there. Look at verse 14. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore, same thing, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews, and with the devout persons, and in the market daily, with them that met with him. For a few moments, I want you to take a little trip with me, all right? Put yourself in their sandals. We're going to go halfway around the world, back in time 2,000 years. And I want you to travel with the evangelist, not me, him. I want you to join Paul's missionary team just for a few moments. And I want you to stop at Thessalonica, interesting place. It was a, it was a seaport bustling city 
place of great trade and prosperity. There was a lot going on in Thessalonica. But frankly, when he first got there, not a whole lot going on for the Lord. And yet, it's powerful. He spends three weeks there. That's it, three weeks. You know what Thessalonica became? Thessalonica has been called by Bible teachers the model church. Because when you read First and Second Thessalonians, it would appear they're not a perfect church because there is no perfect church. This is a good church, but this is not a perfect church. Would you like to know why it's not a perfect church? Because we're all sinners. So you put a bunch of sinners together, there's no perfect church. My grandpa used to say, if you find a perfect church, don't go there, you'll mess it up. He was right about that. So Thessalonica was not a perfect church, but it did become a model church. And yet this is powerful. The model church grew out of a three-week campaign. That's all it was. Three weeks in Thessalonica, that's all. Never underestimate what God can do in a short time or in a hard place. I'm going to tell you, when God shows up, things begin to change. It's not about the preacher. Paul left, Jesus stayed. So he began in Thessalonica. Then from Thessalonica, they go to a place called Berea. Anybody know anything about Berea other than what we've just read? Anybody? I'll tell you why. Because Berea was just a little spot on the map. Now, this is really interesting to me. Berea was not a big place. Berea was not a metropolitan city. Berea had no, no comparison to Athens in that day. It was some almost rural kind of out-of-the-way place. And yet, of all the places mentioned in Acts 17, it would appear that some of the greatest work for the Lord was done there and some of the most lasting fruit took place there. Could I just remind you that God loves to work in places where nobody would have chosen because that's where he gets the glory. I grew up on North Sand Branch Road. How many of you think that sounds like a really big place? Yeah, out in the country on my grandpa's farm. I don't think anybody, anybody would have, would have thought, well, maybe the Lord could do something big in this little area, and yet the Lord's done some big things there. In my travels, every week I'm in a different spot. This past week I was in Louisiana and Delaware. You want to talk about two different places. Did you know Cajuns and Yankees need Jesus too? Did you know that? And I was with both of them last week. I'm in big cities and little towns, and sometimes I'm in places where literally there's, there's nothing there, you know. Everybody has a dollar general. Did you know everybody's got dollar general? But other than dollar general, there's nothing else there, and sometimes I'm in those places. And honestly, sometimes you can show up and think, well, I wonder what's going to happen here. And frankly, sometimes some of the most glorious God-anointed meetings we've ever had have been in some place that nobody's ever heard of. I just want to remind you, church, the Lord loves Berea too. And that in Berea, if he finds people open to the Word and hungry for God, there is no limit to what God can do. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying to you that our God is not bound by geography and our God is not bound by circumstance. In fact, our God's not bound by anything but our unbelief. And if we're willing to believe God, there's no limit to what God can do. So from Thessalonica to Berea, from Berea to Athens. What was Athens? I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because later today we're going to camp in Athens and spend a little time there. Athens is America. <laughs> That's where we're living right now. Welcome to Athens. A place filled with lots of superstition and religion and religious form and function and motions and mechanics, and yet they did not know God. You know what they needed? They needed the same thing Thessalonica needed. They needed the same thing that Berea needed. Watch this. Every place is different, and every place is the same. 
How many of you are from West Virginia? This is home. Would you raise your hand? Yeah, that's great. And there's no place like it. I, I, it doesn't matter to me where I travel. We, my son and I were just out of the country preaching, and, uh, and it's great. It's great. People say, oh, tell me about it, tell me about it. And it's interesting places and people and things, but I'm just telling you from experience, I travel every week of my life. My favorite sign to see is welcome to West Virginia. It's my favorite sign. And my favorite airport is coming in onto these mountains and the rolling hills and feeling like I'm home. There's just, there's no place quite like it. Every place where I go is different, but I've, I've lived long enough and labored long enough now to realize something. Every place is not only different, every place is also the same. People have different accents, different cultural things, different economies, different whatever. You fill in the blank. But every place is the same. Would you like to know why every place is the same? Because every place is filled with sinners who need Jesus Christ. Every place needs a church. Every place needs a gospel message. Every place needs the Lord. Every place is the same. And one of the things I've discovered, not just in my travels, but in Scripture, is that God delights in working in every place. I, I've driven past your exit, and I don't know how many times through the years, but I've never been to your church. And uh, this morning, the fellows are with me. We, we went over to, uh, to Dunkin' Donuts to get a little breakfast. Everything's better with coffee. Did you know that? And we drove through your town and came around one side and back around the other. And, and uh, very, very interesting area to me. Built on the side of the river, built on the side of the mountain. I like it. But the reality is, as I look at this place, I, I don't just see the buildings and the people. You know what I see? I see a place that needs a mighty move of God. How long has this church been here now, Pastor? Forty years. That's great. Your dad started it, right? Forty years. But I'm going to tell you something. This community needs this church more today than it did 40 years ago. Now, it needed it 40 years ago. Anybody been here all 40 years? Yeah, a few folks. That's good. Well, I want you to know, it was great when it started, but there's never been a time that this town needed this church more than it needs it right now. And I'm going to tell you why that is, because there's never been a time when people in our nation needed the gospel message more than it does at this moment. And the good word today is, the Lord wants to work at this time and in this place. Matter of fact, let me just share something, just for fun. We're coming right back here, all right? Hold your place. Don't lose your spot. Go back to Psalm 139 with me for just a minute, would you please? Brother Chase is over speaking to the teenagers right now, and I asked him this morning, I said, what are you speaking on? He said, I'm speaking from the first verses of Psalm 139. How many of you have teenagers next door across the way? Yeah, well, you can tell them, you know, the Lord just let me know. I think your preacher preached you on Psalm 139 today, and you, they'll be surprised how you knew that. But look at Psalm 139, verse number 7. David writes, oh, I love this. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, <laughs> would you mark that? Even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. I, I say again, there is no limit to what God can do any time and in any place. Can I just remind you today, our God is everywhere. Talk to me, class. Is God in this place, yes or no? You better believe he is. He was here before you walked in here today. He's here with you now, and he'll be here when we're gone. 
And I want you to know the God of the Bible, the God that worked at Thessalonica and Berea and Athens, wants to work in Fairmont, West Virginia at this moment if we will let God do that. Before we go back to Athens and Thessalonica and Berea, run over in the New Testament with me just for a second, would you please? Come to 2 Corinthians for a moment. I'll show you a little parallel passage, just give a little foundation. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul talks about his missionary travels from place to place, town to town. And look what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 14. Now, thanks be unto God. Oh, this is such a positive verse. This is a faith-increasing verse. Put your eyes on 2 Corinthians 2, 14. This will help you. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Does your Bible say always? Guess what always means, church? Would you like to know what always means? Always, that's right. At all times, keep reading, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us. Would you mark this in your Bible? In what? Every place. Would you mark it in your Bible, 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 14, at all times and in every place. People say to me sometimes, Pastor, in my travels, well, you know, preacher, I think the days of real spiritual awakening and revival are past. If I thought that, I would be at home today and not here because I'm not traveling for my health, and Paul didn't either. People say, well, you know, I remember the good old days. I'm so sick of people talking about the good old days as if our God was a past tense God. What's his name? Is his name I was or is his name I am? Well, if his name is I am, that's present tense. If he really is the very present help in time of trouble, it doesn't matter how bad things are around us. God Almighty is able to do anything, anytime, and in every place. So with that in mind, go back to Acts 17. Let me give you a few thoughts. Do you have a pen handy where you can write some things on the margin of your Bible, maybe mark some things in the verses? Let me just give you a handful of things that I've observed to be true in every place and that I believe are true in this place at this time. Number one, write down the word opportunity. The first thing I would say to you, in every place, God gives us an opportunity. You know what an opportunity is? It doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it means it can. I want you to know we can have revival. We can see prayers answered. We can see the church move forward, and we can see souls saved. The question is not can we. The question is will we. When Paul walked into Thessalonica and Paul walked into Berea and Paul walked into Athens, and we'll tell you what he saw. He wasn't, he wasn't impressed. He wasn't impressed with all of their gods and all of their monuments and all of their culture and all of their architecture. Athens was a place of architecture and art. Paul didn't stand there looking at Athens and say, this is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. He looked around and said, there's a bunch of lost people here that need Jesus. And you know what we need? We need to begin to recognize again that God left us here for a reason. This is our moment, and we must not miss it. This is our opportunity to get the gospel out and get sinners in, and it's not going to last forever. The pastor said, we're planning a meeting in 2025, and that may happen. But it may not, because Jesus may come before then. If Jesus comes before then, we're going to have a much better meeting in a different location. Did you know that? Now, if the Lord tears is coming, we'll have the meeting, and we'll trust God to help us get the gospel out. But friends, I want you to remember something. Some week is going to be the last week we have. Did you know we just finished the 26th week of this year? You know what that means? 
We're now at the halfway mark. Half of this year's over. It's done. Can't back up, no do-overs. Half of it's done. All right, so you can't fix any of that. I'm going to ask this church something. I know who I'm talking to this morning, the heart and soul of the church in the Bible study hour. What are you going to do for the gospel's sake in the second half of this year? Because God's given you an opportunity here to make a difference for Christ, and we, we can't sleep through the harvest. Write down a second word, would you please? Write down the word opposition. Because in every place where God was working, Satan was fighting. It isn't just like when the Lord's blessing, the devil pokes his ugly head up. Every time. You know why that is? When you move forward, it causes friction. Old Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, the door of opportunity swings on the hinges of opposition. That's exactly right. So is there opportunity? You better believe it. Paul said in one place, a great door and effectual is open to me, and there are many adversaries. In every one of these places, there was spiritual warfare going on. Do not let it shock you because God is blessing in this church right now that the devil tries to get his foot in the door. Don't let that surprise you. Spiritual people understand that kind of thing just happens. Your teenagers and kids just got back from summer camp. Is that right? And probably some pretty tired young people around here today and workers. But I want you to know, I just came out of a week of camp. I know what that's like. There's spiritual blessing and fruit and good things going on. So don't let it surprise you. At that moment, the devil's going to push back. All the hounds of hell will start fighting to try to stop that because everything God ordains, Satan opposes. In every place, there's opportunity. In every place, there is opposition. Write a third word down. Write down the word opening. In every place, there is an opening work of God. You know, this is fascinating to me. Sin closes in on a man. God opens things. Without Jesus, life kind of crushes in on you. The Lord is always opening. Look at verse number 3. What did he open? He opened and alleged that Christ must needs have suffered. There's the opening of God's Word, the opening of the gospel. Come over to verse number 11. Speaking of those in Berea, these were more noble. Circle the word noble in your Bible. Years ago, nobility referred to people who were royals, you know. That's not what the word means here. If I said to you, what does noble mean? Most people would say, ah, honest, integrity, have a good work ethic. That's a noble thing. That's not what the word means here. Would you write this in the margin of your Bible? The word noble that is used here was a word that was used in Paul's day for people who were open-minded. In other words, they were open to being taught. They were, they were open to the truth. We, we need some of that nobility again today, don't you think? People are wide open to God. Here's what I've discovered. In every place, God's working to open the hearts of people. I don't know who. I don't even know who I'm preaching to today. I don't know anybody here except for your preacher. But I'm, I'm looking around, and I want you to know the Holy Spirit of God right now is trying to open some hearts. There'll be people who walk in here in a few minutes in the next hour. They don't even know it, but all week long this week, God's been getting them ready. You know what he's doing? Opening them so that they'll be ready to receive what it is God is trying to say. That is a work no preacher can do. Only the Holy Ghost of God can do that. Matter of fact, turn back one page in your Bible. Go to Acts 16 just for a second. One of my favorite chapters of the book. He's in, Paul's in Philippi. Look at Acts 16, verse 14. This is the first meeting in Philippi. A certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us. Now read the next phrase out loud with me, church. You see it? Acts 16, 14. Whose heart the Lord opened. God is always doing his opening work. So in every place, there's an opportunity for us. In every place, there's opposition. In every place, there's an opening work. 
Now write down a fourth word, would you please? In every place there is an objective. What is the objective? The objective is not just to have a church. The objective is not just to offer programs for children. The objective is not just to have three meetings a week. The objective is not just to have a crusade two years from now. That's not the objective. The objective is spiritual. Would you write this down? The objective is this. We want everybody to know Jesus. In every place where he went, he talked about Jesus. It's funny. Even when he got arrested, I wish I could take you there later in Acts. You ought to read it. But when he got arrested and he's put on trial and he stands before Felix and Festus and Agrippa and he's in front of all these great leaders, they say to him, all right, you're permitted to speak for yourself. And I love this. Instead of giving his defense, he goes on the offensive. Instead of talking about him, he talks about what Jesus has done to him. Matter of fact, in every place where the emperor or the leader says, tell us, tell us your, your side of the story, Here's the way Paul starts. Well, many years ago on the road to Damascus. Now, you think about a man who had a lot to say. He wrote most of the New Testament. How many of you think he had a lot to say? But do you know what he wanted to give? His testimony about how he met Jesus. Whew, that's powerful. Almost like he had never gotten over it. You know what we need? We need some Christians to get back to the wonder of what it means to be saved and be excited just about talking about Jesus again. Would you like to see God work in this town? I'm going to tell you how. Don't wait on the pastor to preach better sermons. Don't wait on the right evangelists to come through town. Mm -mm. You walk out these doors today, and this week, everywhere you go, just start talking about Jesus. See, we got the wrong idea anymore. Our, our American Christianity has devolved into what we do on Sunday. So we build beautiful buildings, and we open the church doors and let all the lucky sinners come find us. Now, you look at our country, it hadn't worked. You know what we need to do? we got to get inside out and get God's people out there where the Lydias are, out there in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens just talking about Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to win the debate. You don't have to deal with every issue under the sun. We need to start talking about Christ again. And here's what I've discovered. You start lifting up Jesus and the Holy Spirit will go to work. You know why that is? Because the Holy Spirit wants to talk about Jesus. That's the objective. Write a fifth word down, would you please? Write down the word obligation. What is our obligation? Did you notice that in every one of these places, in every place, he gave them the word of God? That's powerful. In verse number 3 in Thessalonica, he opens the Scriptures to them. In verse number 11 in Berea, they search the Scriptures daily. We'll come to his message in Athens, but it's full of Scripture. Do you know our great obligation? Our obligation is this. We've got to get the Word of God out. May I testify for a moment as an evangelist? I've come to a conclusion. My sermons never changed anybody's life. Never. But the Word of God is powerful. In fact, I've got a deeper conviction this morning than I've ever had in my entire life in ministry in the sufficiency of the Word of God. Forget my name and forget my outline. But, dear friends, if we can hear from God today through His Word, that changes everything. Maybe we need to stop just giving people our opinions and our ideas and ranting and raving about whatever we think about what's going on in culture, and we just need to start giving them what the Word of God says because only the truth can pierce the darkness of the error we're living in right now. One more word. Would you write this word down? Write down the word overcoming. In every place, the Lord overcomes. He's an overcomer. He's made us more than conquerors. 
Watch this, please. In Thessalonica, verse number 4, some people believed. Not everybody, but some did. In verse number 12, many believed in Berea. I'll show you this at the end of the day. But when you come to the end of Athens and his ministry there, in verse 34, at the end of the chapter, guess what? Even in wicked Athens, some people got saved. And I love this. Look, this is the adventure of my life. Every week I love showing up in places where I've never been before and I don't know anybody and they don't know me and just preach the Bible and try to lift up Jesus. And in every place, God does his work. I know things are complicated right now. I know the world's in a mess. And I know maybe some of you right now, you've got complex situations you're trying to work through. Let's bring it back to some, some simplicity here. You know what we need? We need to simply be the people God placed us in our Thessalonica and Berea and Athens to be. And that is a witness of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we will do that, then in this place, like in every place, we'll see God work. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.